to episode one of Four Off the Cuff podcast. I have two guests with me here today. Uh, our first guest is David. Say hi, David. Hi, gamers. How you doing? Of course he says that. All right. And then we have Artem. Uh, Artem, do you want to say hi? What's up, kids? Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. You're, you're older than all of us here, right? So, why was it? Thirties, right? We'll see. We'll see if age correlates to wisdom during the course of this podcast. We'll see. We'll see. Bro, yo, you're smarter than me, dude. I'll say that because I, I was actually going to mention a lot of the economic stuff. I'm going to probably refer back to you because I trust you more about it. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I, I always encourage everyone to use their common sense. Uh, I think that if, if you're confused about economics, uh, that's all right, but takes takes some time to gain an intuition. And it'll help you in, not just in politics, but in life. But I'm happy to help out. Um, so, yeah, jumping into a, uh, yeah, Corbett, what's the first? Uh, I mean, I guess everything kind of goes with inflation. Um, yeah. So... I remember not too long ago, the White House said that they had fixed the inflation, um, and according to everyone else but the White House, it seemed, that inflation wasn't fixed, in fact. Yeah. Um, on that, it's like, uh, was it? I mean, we'll get into this a little later, probably with the recession stuff as well, you know, White House. But I do, I, I will get into that in a little bit with kind of the denial there and some other stuff associated with that. But um, with inflation, yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's certain items that are obviously going up. Mostly everything is, but, like, I guess to inter- introduce this, you know, there's, like, uh, gas is obviously, you know, um, which, uh, yeah, there's gas, uh, you know, uh, you know, other foods and stuff like that. Wheat, wheat was one. I heard about that. Um, but yeah, we have we have the list here. I mean, yeah, let's let's go right into gas because I mean, gas prices. I remember whenever the whole you know Ukrainian war was going on, gas prices went up. I mean, when whenever Biden shut down the pipeline, I mean that's whenever prices started going up. And then the the Ukrainian war, whatever you call it, had them skyrocket even more. And as of recently, they did start going down. I mean, I went to go get gas the other day. It was like $3 a gallon, whatever previously it was closer to 4 Um And so, I mean, they did go down a bit, but I mean, I guarantee you it's just going to rise back up. I actually had, I, I want to ask Artem about this. This is, I actually just, I skipped this by accident, but, uh, you know, we talked this is more general inflation thing. You know, you keep spending money, and I said you're breaking economic rules 101 in a way because, was it, they have this theory now or something. It's like current monetary theory, and it's like spend more money, and it's like, bro, that's not how economics works, and I'm, like, not good at economics. I know that. You know? Right. So monetary um, theory suggests that it may not matter how much, um, uh, how much money the government spends. Um, I don't know to what degree. Obviously, every economic theory has its own branches and deviations, so I'm sure somewhere in modern monetary theory there are some limitations on how much money should be spent. Uh, I, it's it's a scary theory. You know, one of the reasons that a lot of people are conservative is because sometimes you try new things, but they can be disastrous. 
So, I mean, it looks like we're trying it now. We're spending a tremendous amount of money. But the outcome seems to be what traditional neoclassical economics predicted, which is a tremendous amount of inflation. Now, you know, I was just looking at the CPI. You know, we have uh, a report uh, from July that we're at 8.5 yearly inflation rate. Uh, June was 9.1. May was 8.6. This just means that, you know, compared May of 2022 compared to May of 2021, everything got 8.6% more expensive. But one of the most important things to remember about the CPI is that it excludes uh, some some major major sectors of the economy. And so it may or may not be an accurate representation of the inflation that everybody else is experiencing. The CPI headline number does include food and energy. There are CPIs that are highly watched by economists that exclude them. And okay. the additional problem with the calculations of the CPI is the use of, ho- of owner-equivalent rents. Um, owner-equivalent rents, uh, you know, they, they may or may not closely correlate to actual rental prices. Rents, on average, in the United States have gone up upwards of 20%. I know my own rent here in Dallas uh, has increased 23%. And you can, of course, see there are a lot of reasons for the government to alter the CPI one, it's sort of like a report card, but if you can define how you're gonna be graded on that report card, you might want to change the definitions of what's actually included, right? Well, I got an A in in physical education, but an F in everything else, well, let's only measure my ability in physical education. That's what really matters. Just know that there are alternate measures of inflation out there that measure the inflation to be much higher than what is officially reported by the government, and also know that there are strong incentives for the government to misreport inflation that include uh, both the Social Security, how much they have to adjust Social Security with every year, that's gonna be dependent on inflation. So if, if you measure inflation low, you don't have to adjust Social Security high. And also with the Treasury bills and bonds, if inflation's very high, you're gonna to have to pay a higher rate on those bills and bonds, but if you can somehow deflate inflation, um, that, or you know, express a lower inflation figure than really exists, you know, then then you're better off. I actually want to ask Artem again if this he would say this is relatively accurate, or if there's some more to it, or if it's not accurate or whatever. Is um, I made a note here that if the government, uh, you know, like the government and the Fed, they'll spend a lot, you know, when and I guess you'll see a temporary boost, you know, after that, but then it gets, it goes back down or it goes back down worse. You know, I haven't kept track of a lot of this, but I said that if the government and the Fed wants to spend money to temporary boost, temporarily uh, boost the economy, keep in mind if the people are going to save money and work hard in order to get through after the boost, after the boost, it will be worse than before the boost or something like that. I'm basically saying you want people to have personal responsibility in terms of saving, but like no one does that. So no one has personal finance responsibility uh, because, you know, another topic, but like ed- ed- education. <laughs> sure. yeah. So it, don't get into that, but like that. Right. Uh, so in a way, the consumer is actually acting rationally. Well, which shouldn't mm-hmm. be surprising in neoclassical economics. We sort of assume everyone's a rational agent. But, you know, yeah. a lot of people would, would say that Americans are irresponsible. They don't have enough savings. They have too much debt, so on and so forth. But 
it is fair to say that if you have a rapidly inflating currency, right, then your savings are going to be, you know, 9.1% worse every year, right? So why, why would you bother to have savings? If the inflation rate is 9.1 and your savings are going to decrease in value at that rate each year, well, then pretty soon your savings will be worthless. So the American population, in a way, is acting somewhat rationally. They're taking on debt. Why? Well, you take on a loan at 5 6%, okay, but inflation rate is 9%. Well, that means you're, you're almost gaining, right? It's going to be easier to pay that loan off in the future, okay, because the money that you earn in the future is going to be worth less, and it's going to be easier to earn. And so, yeah, let's take on the loan right now and pay it off in the future. But what has been a little bit distressing is that a lot of the loans that Americans are taking on right now are being taken on via consumer credit. So credit cards with 30% interest or higher, that's really not good. And it's concerning because, you know, maybe the GDP numbers that we have right now would be even lower uh, if Americans were not able to take on that debt. And the question becomes, well, what, what happens when that debt comes due and the, the folks are not able to pay it? Um, probably probably something that's negative so the consumer is not acting completely irrational the consumer is acting based on the incentives given to him by the government yeah that's why i only, I only have a uh not credit card debit card uh because i do not want to deal with that crap you know i don't even trust myself so i have to deal with that and uh, i'm pretty much broke at this point because i got a trip in december but yeah so sorry um okay yeah going back to gas i just wanted that i thought that was an important point mm -hmm. or a section i wanted to go over um oh we sorry yeah and artem you would say that when the i just want to make sure i got this right when the fed and the or slash government you know whatever when they uh spend money it temporarily boosts the economy and then it goes back down right did i get that right well, or is it like depending? That's, that's sort of an empirical question. Um, past Federal Reserve stimulus has had some positive impacts. Um, it, it's difficult to say what's causing what in economics because there's, yeah. there's all sorts of things happening at one time, and it may be that it's just correlative, meaning that Fed starts stimulus and then the, re the economy recovers. But it may just be that the economy is do is engaged in basically mean reversion, which is that you know the economy usually grows at two to three percent. So even though there's a downward time, regardless of what the Federal Reserve does, the economy would eventually return to that level. Um, I don't know. It's it's very difficult to say if if Fed stimulus is ultimately responsible for even brief recoveries. Um, but every time the Fed does that, what the Fed does is it substitutes its own decisions regarding interest rates for the decisions of the market. And I think that the people on the Federal Reserve are really brilliant people, but no matter how brilliant you, brilliant you might be, it's very, very difficult to substitute your own judgment for the judgment of tens, if not hundreds of millions of economic actors. You might be smarter than any individual economic actor, but you're not smarter than 100, 200, 300 million people. So. Mm -hmm. When the Fed puts its finger on the on the national interest rate, um, it hopes to stimulate in some instances, and sometimes it hopes to taper, which is what it's doing now, in order to curb inflation. But whether or not that's what's actually happening in the short term or in the long term, 
I don't know if we have definitive proof of either. Okay. Yeah, because, like, you know, I'll hear mixed stuff, you know, because I actually didn't look into this, so I'm not going to, like, say it's fact or not, but there was, uh, I remember conservatives, a lot of them will always reference a study that was done about FDR and how he actually helped made the Depression longer. You know, in school, you'll hear, oh, he made it, may not made it shorter, but made it better for people. Not necessarily shorter, but just made it better for people. Then again, that would have been a lot of spending. So in the long run, that may not have been nice. You hear, you hear a lot of different stuff. You notice, and that, that may just be not even partisan, that's just economics. I always... When I was taking an economics AP before I dropped out, because I'm just not good at that, um, I, uh, you know, they, they would say, oh, tons of econ economics, they will disagree, and they're not partisan. They will disagree on everything because there is so much different data that you could interpret so many different ways. You know, so. I, w I would agree with that. I mean, I I've certainly heard of the study you're talking about. The The problem with, with all studies in in economics is that, you know, we can't observe what would have happened had FDR not done that. Mm -hmm. And since we can't observe the counterfactual, it's difficult to compare results and outcomes. So almost every economic study is going to have that challenge, which is, mm -hmm. well, how do you how do you know what would have happened but for this treatment? The treatment in this case being the the implementation of the New Deal programs. It's hard to know. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, especially since now everything gets tracked. But back then, that may have you know been a limitation. So. Right, but even right now, see, remember this. Right now, we still can't track what would have been, but for you know the build the I don't know the Inflation Act that they just passed. Mm. We're never going to know what would have been if not for the passage of that law. Because there's no there's no fictional United States in another dimension where multiverse <laughs> time. Let's go. Yeah. So so we can't compare outcomes. So every time you hear an, a, about an economic study and you think it's so definitive, it's so great. Just remember, if presented at an academic conference, the study will always be challenged based on some of the grounds that I just laid out. And one one out of a million universes, we're actually a rational country. So. <laughs> Well, uh, anyway, yeah, go, go ahead, Corbin. Sorry, we've been talking um, You mentioned the Inflation Act. Uh, so exactly what is in that Inflation Act for me and Noah Hutchinson? Me? Yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry, well, sorry. Sorry, I don't direct this to you. These laws are very long, and I haven't read it. And, okay. uh, well, yeah, I, obviously, yeah. Right, my, my <laughs> just, like, like, were there any key full points, you know, because you're kind of... Well, yeah, you know more I, I, don't know of, I don't know of anything in the act that actually addresses inflation. I mean, it, it's very difficult to address inflation via legislative act, except if you pass something that greatly cuts the federal budget, greatly decreases federal spending, or perhaps curbs the Federal Reserve's limit, you know, to, to issue currency and buy American bonds. So the act didn't do any of those things. It's all personal uh, stuff. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it implemented all sorts of spending. It gave us some more IRS agents. You know, it, it, it functionally increased taxation. How does that help infl inflation? I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the increased taxes, right, means that people spend less because they have to pay more in taxes. But this is the kind of inflation, you know, this is the kind of decrease in inflation that maybe you don't want to see. I mean, because because the taxes are just going to go to the government and they're going to spend that money. So, 
I, I don't know what, if anything, in this Inflation Act will actually curb inflation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, I was watching Steven Crowder, and, uh, you know, he obviously conservative, but he mentioned, because, uh, you know, economic people, uh, economists, sorry, are all over the place, you know, in terms of political alignment. So, but he was referencing a study, and I wish I knew the name because I, you know, I wish I was more reliable on that. But uh, he was talking about how, well, yes, taxing more people and taxing more would, um, you know, may obviously give the government more money in order to maybe curb inflation. But then it would go back, something, it was something like it go back down, it's a net zero. It doesn't do anything in the end. It might help, like, for a little bit, but then it's a net zero, so it's just backwards starting, you know? It was something along those lines. I mean, you kind of mentioned the inflation bill, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's a $740 billion bill that he passed up in one hit, right? Or is that something else? This is the bill that just passed. Yeah, yeah the one that right. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding it correctly. Yeah, there's been tons um, of spending bills over the course of COVID. I, I do, speaking of spending, I do want to mention something. We might get to, like, spending later and, like, the stimulus checks later. But I do want to mention something. To be fair to Biden, uh, for for one point, I know he's only been in office a year, but Trump has spent spent way more money in his four years than Biden has in his first year. And everyone always talks about, like, a lot of conservatives will talk about how Biden, you know, he spent so much, you know, and everything. Um, but Trump spent a lot more. Another thing I want to mention, well, well, just wait, to, wait, yeah. Wait, did Trump spend more in his first year than Biden in his first year? That's actually a good point. I wouldn't know. I just know over the four years, he spent, I, I do remember Trump did start off with a lot of spending. I don't know if I know, I don't know if that's more than Biden. I'm pretty sure but, he also had a lot of executive orders. If I oh, yeah, no, both had. I mean, that, that was a whole Obama I, thing. Yeah, I think That's why he did it. Yeah. Which, I mean, I can't blame him. That's a precedent set. Yeah. I mean, I can blame him in terms of, hey, I think it's a little bit annoying, and you know. But then again, he wasn't the one that started that. Uh, you know, the whole thing we talk about precedents. So, yeah. I mean, you're he's not necessarily to blame, necessarily to blame, especially if he's a populist, you know, relative relatively you're not you can't blame him for that because he's going to use all the power he has uh, to pass the stuff he wants to on the conservatives um another thing i do want to mention before i before if we get back in the gas is that every and this goes for literally every president um the president the president does not have much control over like the president himself does not have much control over gas and i i know I know, you know, people will look at inflation and maybe, yeah, maybe the president has more control over that. But with gas price, like with other stuff, but with gas prices, he does not have direct control. Now, maybe policies that the White House did or Congress, uh, which, you know, does nothing but spend for themselves, you know. So, uh, but maybe they did something that, uh, uh, you know, made inflation worse. Uh but president isn't necessarily the one to blame for that, but he does get a lot of the blame because he's the highest guy, you know, in the country. Mm-hmm. He's the face of it, yeah. So, I mean, it's unfair, but it's how it works, you know. Yeah. Kind of just have to point that out. I think it, it, to be fair, even though I'm not, I don't really like Biden, you kind of have to be fair about that. If you're going to be consistent. Maybe that's why they had Biden um, as the front runner, just so that he could be the face of everything. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he was in his basement. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyway, let's get. Uh, what what did I have? You mentioned gas prices, and I'm I'm trying not to steal the spotlight here because I. I, I, this is your thing, Corbett, but... You've been speaking of quite a bit. Yeah, I know. I did, uh... I'm just letting you go, because I'm like, I don't know what to do here. Might, might as well. Yeah, um, but, let's see. What was it? I said, uh, gas prices. Yeah, I had air. Gas prices, um, you know, went down recently. I think I saw something. I think, I think that happened, uh, before the Great Depression, but I do want to mention that the Great Depression did happen for different reasons. One of the main ones being like, uh, let's see if I remember correctly, it was they were making too much. And then when it when all that hit, when, when the depression hit, it could go nowhere. Everyone already either, you know, sold it, had had one already, or literally could not do anything with it. Because because, uh, you know, there's an over there's too much. Uh for example, cars was an example. There's too many cars, no, not enough people to buy because they don't have the money, you know, mm-hmm. or they already had one, or they had to sell it, or whatever, because you know it's great depression. Um, right with the amount of people buying Teslas now, they're they're gonna. Pay yeah. Them, yeah, no. Um, Tesla, we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, Tesla's, Tesla's a nice car, okay. Oh yeah, no, Teslas are nice. Yeah. Um, I I see so many people with Teslas, and honestly, they're. The first model is honestly not bad price if you get the basic. I think, like the smallest model, it's like forty, at least forty-five thousand. It's not too bad. I mean, it's still a luxury car, but like that's about the price of like a Lexus, I think, or a Toyota probably. So yeah, like just a basic. Um, I just know that they're really nice, uh, but electric cars still have a long way to go. Uh, oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm all for electric power cars. All for it. Yes. Hey, actually, this is this might be a good transition here. Uh, <laughs> for the little subtopic I about some uh, the, about ga- yeah the gas going into some of the other powers. You know, um, I did want to mention. Yeah, new nuclear power definitely. Uh, I did first want to mention that. I think one of the main reasons I wouldn't be surprised that Teslas are relatively expensive is because, um, like, most of them are relatively expensive. It isn't necessarily because they're battery or electric powered. It's probably because they're a luxury vehicle. They're built yeah, like a exactly. luxury vehicle. It's, it's, they have all these cool contraptions. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's electric. Because, I mean, you can buy a hybrid car for about mm-hmm. the same price as a normal gas-powered car. It's just, it is a luxury vehicle. And I mean, and I'd personally like to see Elon Musk make a Tesla that's not meant to be a luxury vehicle, but rather just a normal common vehicle that is more affordable that I guess a more common person can drive. Yeah, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that if you ever, these aren't made for long drives, and if you want to make them for long drives, you better put a lot of battery charging stations at like every rural gas station. Yeah. But or you, they have to invest in it because you can't you can't make them. But you, you have to invest in them. Uh, they have getting to getting off topic, but I have one more thing I wanna say about yeah. this. I mean at the gas station um that I typically will go to, um I think they do have an uh a charging station for an electric car. I could be wrong yeah. about that. 
I saw a ton at Bucky's when I was going to Galveston. I mean, that's Bucky, so of course they have It is Bucky's. They have tons of money, dude. They, uh, I, I was... They have risk it for the brisket. <laughs> and I'm like... That's actually, that's a good, that's a good average. Um, did you know that Bucky's, uh, one time they, um, I'm trying to remember, how, how should I word it? Uh, they, uh... They had their gas prices so low because you know they make most of their money off the stuff in the store. Yeah. But it was like significantly low places that the government came in and it's like you can't do this. Well, because you know, and to an extent, I guess I understand. I I, I understand because it kind of does ruin competition. Like I I think part of it, you know, the government can't come in and just say, hey, we don't like you, we're gonna not make you do this. But in order to have healthy competition, you. Kind of, you know, can't just. That's why monopolies, you know, like monopolies that were dominated, like specific industries, like you know, railroad and stuff. But not the thing dealing about with that. Bucky's is like it's typically not. I mean, they're like all. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're all throughout the nation. But they're all mm-hmm. off of highways and stuff, so that you can like just go get like a rest stop or something like that. Get yeah. Food and stuff. And so, it's, I would say because of the purpose and where they are located, I would say it's not really taking away that much competition because, I mean, if you're just driving into town, you're going to be going to, like, uh, a Tom Thumb 7-Eleven or something like that because they're more in, like, you know, suburbs and throughout. Um, and Bucky's are more, like, off the highway or something like that from what I've seen. That is true, yeah. I Like I said, I don't know how significant it was. I just know it was... I heard that was significantly lower when I heard about this story. Well, I, um, I never knew that, so... Yeah, no. Uh, there was someone who worked at my work, and he was saying... He used to be a truck driver, but he obviously... he know, So he knows some Buckies, uh, but because he's probably gone last in my time. <laughs> but uh, he was saying how he saw that story. Honestly, it wouldn't be surprised. They make most of their money off the store. Um, Bucky's is awesome, though. Yeah. I, I actually, I, right now, I don't want to, like, you know, get into the competition stuff, even though I know Artem would definitely have some stuff to say about competition and stuff like that. I just don't know if that's a topical thing for this video, <laughs> for that sorry, this podcast. I don't like this episode, you know? But I know you have stuff to say. I remember when you were talking about it, we had a good debate about that. Well, what, what, what would you like to know about competition? I think uh, it's important. <laughs> Uh, fights. Oh gosh. Well, I, I, I remember was it? I guess we can get into this, like just a little bit, because I don't want to get into like the whole one-hour conversation about this, you know. But uh, was it when you were um, when we were in the meeting, uh, you were talking about what we were con- uh, debating laissez-faire economics and like the stuff like that, capitalism, the laissez-faire capitalism, right? We just have a different view on that. Well, I forgot what your view was. I mean, I'm my, uh, in favor of competition. My Yeah, my view was that I think laissez-faire gives too much. I You know, this, is a, this probably doesn't sound great, but it does give a little too much freedom. And at the end, when it does, eventually, when these uh, companies dominate a like specific sector that literally is just railroad or steel, which were big things back then. It really does dumb down competition because what they can do is anyone else that starts something else like that 
they will instantly just be gone. They're, 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 they're sent to the shadow realm. So, um, right. I mean, you're, what you're yeah, that's my view. It's sort, of, sort of monopoly power and the use of monopoly power to try to dominate the market. Yeah, but the thing is, when you have monopoly power, that's when you have the least amount of competition, and so the consumer suffers the most. When you do have competition, it, it tends to drive prices down to that of marginal cost. So almost no profits among the competitors, which is yeah. the best for consumers because you know that that means that the um, uh, that the price is is the lowest that it can be. Mm-hmm. So I think that competition is good for the consumer. It's obviously harmful to the to the people that are the producers, right? You, you don't want another competitor. But, yeah. You know the question always for me is well if you don't like it you know how are you going to regulate I mean are you going to have another you know the rabbit hole people, right yeah you're going to have fifteen very wise people decide for the entire market how much competition is too much yeah it's slippery hard. slope is dangerous yeah yeah, yeah that it's hard for fifteen people or twenty people how many ever people to replicate the knowledge uh, everyone's knowledge everyone's information set within a full economy. It's just, how do you do it? No matter how wise you are, can, can you really be smarter than everybody? Can you know exactly what they want, what makes them happy? It, it's too hard. So anytime you have regulation, I think you're going to have more more of a deadweight loss uh, than you will, you know, from any gain from that regulation. Yeah. My, uh, my other point, well, obviously, you know, everyone points to child labor, which... I mean, I think isn't the reason that even was allowed to exist was implied for too way too long and it should have been was because these um, companies had a lot of power in government. They basically were the governments at that point. Like at, at some point they were. Now that and then that's why they you know y- y- if you're having something that's specifically a for profit thing, they're focusing on profit. They're not going to focus on the people if. Unless they're a really good moral person, they're not going to do that, you know, because the most these people would do is philanthropy, uh, which even then they were kind of, they didn't like, uh, what was it? It was, it was either Rockefeller or Carnegie, one, uh, one of the big ones that was uh, social, it was like, it was one like these social gospel things. I forget what, what specifically it's called, but he basically, one of the things he said or like said uh was talking about is that you have to or like an example of this is like send someone someone has to go to the library in order to you know get knowledge and make their own business but there's two problems with that one if they make a big business you're gonna buy that crap second of all um you don't have time like because you're just working them 20 hours a day like probably not that much but you know they're working them day to night uh these people had to create schools in their own slum to you know do all that and child labor obviously you know that's just that uh you know i like three uh was it five-year-olds or nine-year-olds i don't know if it's five, but like you know people that shouldn't be working are working you know mm-hmm. especially physical labor which is not very smart uh to be honest because it's very dangerous and we should we talk about protecting children a lot yet that's uh big thing you know so but it's just a bunch of different how do, how do we get from competition to this i'm just i'm just mentioning my point on laissez-faire you know stuff okay, so, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. 
I mean, the, the, uh, I mean if, if you're saying that laissez-faire economics, you know, gone too far, would involve a lot of child labor, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, uh, parents, most parents presumably have the best interest of their children in mind, right? And, you know, because we sort of assume that these companies are always going to out-negotiate the worker. I'm not sure that that's really true. I mean, you know, the supply of labor and the demand of labor is, is going to um, dictate the salaries of whoever it is that's working there. And if they say, okay, as a parent, you know, I can send my kid off to work at 12, okay, and he's going to earn minimum wage his whole life or whatever the, the small wage in this economy might be, you know, or I can continue to provide for my child until he's 18 or 20 or whatever, gets the education that he wants, and then this person can really make a lot of money, you know, maybe the parent will decide, hey, look, it's, it's not so important that this 12-year-old brings in all, you know, this small wage that he would otherwise bring in. Um, I mean, you know, and you can see this in, in the current economy. It's true. You can't hire most people under 15 or, or, or under 16, depending on your state. But, you know, a lot of kids mow the grass. Maybe they do little tasks that, you know, get some kind of monetary revenue. But, you know, you know most parents are not going to let that kid make that their full-time job for the rest yeah. of their life. They usually want their kid to aspire to a little bit more. So, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like laissez-faire economics I don't think is perfect. But it, it seems to me to be the best available solution for now. Yeah. So it's not perfect. Okay. You're, you're going to have deficiencies. But uh, the, more, the more you regulate, the, the worse it might get. I mean, you see yeah. in Oregon, very recently, they, I think it was in Oregon, maybe in Washington State, they lowered the, the age. They couldn't find anybody to work at fast food restaurants, so they lowered the wage to 14. And a bunch of 14-year-olds showed up and started taking those jobs, and they really enjoyed it. And so, you know, it was a situation where it was a job that a 14-year-old kid could do if properly trained. And so maybe that's for the better. I mean, those kids clearly wanted the work. Their parents wanted them to get work experience. And, and so in that situation, maybe, maybe it's for the best. Now, I don't know. Maybe the kids could be getting an education. Maybe they could be doing something better with their time. But it's hard for me, you know, to say I know better than those kids and, and then those parents. I can only say, look, here are the opportunities available to you. But, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe those, that's what those kids are, are meant to do. I don't know. Yeah, actually, yeah, that um, was it. Uh, I was going to say, like, my problem is, is that, you know, uh, yeah, first of all, I do agree. Too much regulation, you know, that's kind of where we've gone. It does kind of, uh, was it stint the economy? Is that is that a word? I don't know. I'm trying to remember the word. It kind of makes it, you know, worse than it actually could be. There is so much more potential. Um, but I guess with going back to the child labor thing, you know, obviously, you every, in a, any job back then, it was you have kids, they work the land, for example. You know, you make them do that and just, you know, do that over and over again. You need, you need more bodies, right? Um, when it's the same thing for these urban areas that were doing this, but the problem was it was, you know, relatively low-paying, I think. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I was I'm assuming it was pretty low-paying for the time, right? Uh and then, you know, then they would live in these slums, basically, and uh, they'd have tons of, tons of people, tons of children, you know, or at least, at least two, probably. And it just got into this vicious cycle of, you know, we have to, we can't do this, we can't, you know, we can't uh, really educate our kids as well because we don't have the money to do that. 
to you know go we don't have the time to go to these libraries or whatever educate ourselves uh because we're working so much because we're working so much because you know um uh we we're not getting enough money and we need money to stay on rent or whatever so are, are you are you saying this is in the united states in some period of time is that yeah right? no some period of time like uh at some point this happened huh yeah, no no industrial revolution is what i'm talking about, right so. well i mean it's it's sort of like it's a situation where you could probably find a child that that wasn't the best situation for but mm. I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I, I'd have to look at the data, what was happening. But yeah, there is this this issue where maybe parents, I think Corbett and I were talking about this yesterday, where parents might be incentivized to send their kid off to the nearest minimum minimum wage job and then not develop that child's education. Yeah, that's that's sort of a problem. I mean, in an ideal world, a parent will have, you know, a lot of information to make a decision about what's best. Because any time you work as a teenager, it's not free. I mean, I personally wouldn't want my children to work as teenagers. I would want them to take that time and focus on additional training and education. Why? Well, because the world is really very different today. Um, you know, one of the biggest, most important growing fields is computer science. You just are not going to learn computer science working at McDonald's. You're not going to learn computer science pushing buggies up a hill. And yes, You can learn how to do it with a calculator and make a game out of it. Like put Minecraft on the calculator. Sure. Yep. <laughs> Maybe you can do that, but but you see, it, it it takes time. So as economists, we should always think about opportunity costs. You know, yes, this kid made this wage, uh, you know, shoving these buggies in the parking lot, but you know, what's the opportunity cost? The opportunity cost is he can no longer be competitive in this market as a more educated, higher-paying employee. And so it's like, yeah, he's ahead in net wealth at 16, 17, and 18, but he becomes way behind after his 20s because, you know, that computer engineer, computer scientist, you know, he got a job making a quarter of a million dollars a year. You know, you're just not going to beat that no matter what you do, uh, you know, at a, at a grocery store, for example. So yeah. there, there's that problem. But what, what I would expect to happen in free market economics is for parents to notice that there are some kids who are not spending their time in the, in the, on the blacktop that are winding up a lot better in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I would expect those parents to sort of incorporate that and understand that and then say, uh-huh, well, even though I work at a grocery store, my son or daughter, maybe they're better off doing, doing this other thing. The yeah. other thing that I would expect to happen is, I mean, you know, if firms really became strapped for labor, they might advertise. And you see a lot of firms advertise. Firms need interns. Uh, not because interns are particularly useful. They're not. Uh, but, but firms... You've been an intern, I can tell. <laughs> what now? You've been an intern, I'm assuming. I've been an intern, absolutely. Yeah. I've been an intern. Uh, I've been an extern. There's such a thing when you when you get a get into law school, you'll learn there's something called an externship, which is basically just an, an internship. And yeah, I've been both of those, but you can't be useful because you, you haven't had enough time to be trained. Why do you do that? Well, it, it's a recruitment mechanism. Okay, the idea is, hey, look, we want these particular people to be in our industry. We want this labor supply because if we have more people in the labor supply, we can pay them less. So, yeah, let's get them in here as interns. Let's get them excited about this profession. Okay, even though they work at a grocery store, maybe they'll realize how important it is to do computer science. 
and and so then maybe we'll attract them. It's a crude example, but businesses really do that. If they need workers, they'll advertise to get workers in the same way that they advertise for everything else. Yeah. I'm glad I recognized some of these economic terms from my uh, 12th grade year. <laughs> the state education. Uh, opportunity cost. I didn't know what CPI was, but I knew what opportunity cost was. I heard of CPI. So. Uh, I remember what uh, opportunity cost is because I had personal finance. Oh, yeah. Did, did you have that last year? Okay. Uh, it was spring 2022. So. Yes, okay. Yeah, because I remember you telling me about that. But you also understand it intuitively because you've experienced it, right? If I do this activity, if I go to work, it means I can't go party with my friends, okay? If I do this, that means I can't do that. See, that's a lot more intuitive than the CPI because none of you guys have a printing press, you know, because you don't have a printing press. Is there anything you wanted to add on that, Corbett, because uh, we just wanted to, like, competition. Were there any, like, things you wanted to add or ideas or do we cover it all? (laughs) I think there was one, but I completely forgot. Oh, right. Actually, I remember now. So about the laissez-faire, uh, I can't remember if we mentioned this, but the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. That is something that happened. Yes, I remember that. After, um, laissez-faire, what? which happened March 25th, uh, 1911. That was a terrible disaster that happened because of the fact that there weren't any regulations on safety. Um, and the whole point of government is to protect the general public safety, and that's just one concern that I have is how much would businesses actually go to protect? Because if I remember correctly, these were all women that couldn't go anywhere else. And now, since times have changed, women can actually do a lot more things. Um, and so maybe this kind of thing wouldn't happen because they would want to attract, you know, people because of their safety. I mean, the, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, um, it wasn't that safe, and on top of that, because, like, during the fire, like, the elevator just would not work. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And it was also really cramped, so. Yeah, it was cramped, and on top of that, um, like, to be fair, again, that was the only place where women were actually, like, one of the very few places women could work and everything else was taken, so they had to work it. Um, but again, there's a lot more opportunities for women, and so because of that, the question begins to be like, well, would this ever happen? And the question, and the answer is probably, we won't know unless we, you know, give laissez-faire a, another shot. Um, but I do know that it was a really like one of the most infamous uh, moments uh, during the. Um, uh, Gilded Age. Actually, yeah, Industrial Industrial Revolution Gilded Age. You know, that era. Something, yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, it killed 146 workers according to history.com. Um, so. Yeah, because uh, when I talk about laissez-faire, I'm mainly, I'm meaning, like, pure, no-regulation type of stuff. Uh, I mean, I think to some extent you do have to have some regulation, but like Artem was mentioning, uh, and I agreed with was that you have to be very careful. Slippery slope exists as much yeah. as people don't want to admit it and say it's a logical fallacy. Only reason it's a logical fallacy is because you can't predict the future. You can only use that's the only reason people call it a logical fallacy. Um, yeah, and that's like you just use history to um, to support it. You can only use history. Can't logically, you know, do it because there's no you can't like 
like, you know, line the line, dot to dot, you know, you can't do that logically, but you can support it with history. Um, and I, I actually, it really bugs me when people bring up the logical fallacy. I, mean, stuff that, I, so. I, I want to push back on this factory fire. Um, okay. you know, th these are the kinds of instances where, you know, you use a sample size of one and then you push forward a broad, you know, federal yeah. policy. Although it was bad, I do. Yeah, I see where you're going with this. I mean, let me give yeah. you an example, okay? So the the issue, I mean, sometimes accidents happen at work. You, you can't prevent them. Horrible things happen, and, you know, that, that that's bad. But how are the businesses incentivized not to do that? Well, I don't know if that company survived after that fire, but how are you ever going to convince anybody to work for you? I mean, think about that for a moment. Even without government intervention, people will absolutely adjust. I mean, if yeah. if I knew that that the last time anybody worked for you that they died, right? I would I would not off. take your job, or I would demand an outrageous salary. And mm -hmm. I I could also demand I could say, well, before before I take your job, okay, I'd like to know what safety precautions this factory had. Yeah. I'll give you a real life example. This is back in my buggy pushing days as a teenager. Maybe I was in my early twenties at this time. I, I forget precisely. Young adult. <laughs> I, I, I remember that I was I was working at my buggy pushing job, and one day, my boss showed up, and he was like, "You ready to work?" And I was like, "Well, I thought I already was, but I guess so." He said, "Tomorrow we're gonna go up on the roof of this building, and we're gonna clean out." all the things that are stored in sort of this attic space of this huge grocery store. Now, this job would have required me to climb without any helmet, without any precautions, without anything that strapped me in. Uh, it would have required me to climb probably, I don't know, 50, 60 feet up uh, and uh, haul heavy products either, I don't think they were all on top of the roof, but right below the top of the roof all the way down in 120 degree heat because uh, there was no air conditioning and it's a black roof and it's gulch. Oh no. All right. Oh. Well, my, I responded uh, by quitting later that day. <laughs> I just, I just said, look, I quit. And, and so I was making a very low wage and I, I was just like, well, look, pushing the buggies, not a great, not, not, not very, not very harmful, not very unsafe. I've never been hit, so good. Climbing on the roof of this place for the same hourly wage, no upcharge, nothing. We're just going to tell you to climb this roof and do this dangerous job. Okay, I quit. Right? Drive the I, buggy I, onto the roof. Goodbye. <laughs> it's, it's been nice knowing all of you. I just walked out later that day. Now, maybe not very nice, but if I had to give a two weeks notice, that means I would have been up on the roof the next day. So yeah. I decided not to do it. See, that's a perfectly rational market reaction. Yeah. Just, I didn't there, need it, nothing. They weren't asking me to do anything that was against government rules, but mm -hmm. I just knew that the amount of safety risk I was going to have to take to clean out that attic space and the unpleasantness of the work, it was just too much. I was gone. That is actually a good point yeah. because uh, you go ahead, Corbett. Yeah, I've been talking. Go I ahead. I just wanted to say, um, with me, regards to mentioning this, uh, all I was doing was just pointing this out. I mean, I wasn't trying to criticize because I, I think that, honestly, laissez-faire now, I mean, especially with how people understand, um, I guess this, the work environment and everything a bit more than they uh, than we did back in the day because, I mean, that was the Industrial Revolution. Um, but 
I mean, and on top of that, here's another example of, like, um, a company that, well, yeah, a company that, um, they didn't really have any restrictions. Well, I mean, I guess they weren't theoretically breaking the law, but I was going to bring up, like, uh, Ubisoft developer, uh, they were extremely, uh, sexist in saying that women don't sell, and so- Use Blizzard. Use well, Blizzard Activision. Well, well, Blizzard is another great um, example where they were like uh, treating their employees like absolute crap, and so it was basically a frat house, like a really bad frat. That's what yeah. it was. Um, I I don't know all the details as to what they did, but it was. Well, yeah, you know, if you're if people hate you more than EA, that's saying something. I'm sorry, but that is saying something. I cannot help you there. Okay, EA made. Jedi Fallen Order, okay? Yeah, that game's overrated. I don't want to get into it. No, it's not. It is. <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good game and it's overrated. Um, I haven't even played it. I've seen gameplay. I, I'll, I'll say I haven't played it, but I've seen gameplay. It looks super good. It, it, it's nothing, like, out of the, the world. The Okay, okay. The, va- the Spoiler. Uh, Vader. Yeah, no, the Vader thing was pretty cool. I kind of, I like that. I didn't play it. I wa- like it. I said, I didn't play it. Okay. I should, no, yeah. It's just too expensive right now. Don't say anything no. to play. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, let's get back on topic. Anyway, so... Um, I just wanted to bring that up as uh, as kind of like what happened with Laissez-Faire. Yeah, you actually do bring... I, I, I agree with multiple points y'all brought up in terms of like, yes, we know more about safety stuff, so that actually might go in if we ever went back to a more free economic society like Laissez-Faire, with, you know, maybe some regulation because we'll probably never get rid of all the regulations to be honest government likes your comfort um but i i do agree with that and then uh what's the other thing um yeah artem brought the point yeah using the sample size of one thing Mm. it's because it's emotional it is you i think you mentioned this it was yeah it's an emotional thing uh and emotions (laughs) whether we like it or not Hit us the hardest. People don't use logic and facts. Uh, <laughs> like the Chernobyl disaster that people keep bringing up whenever people say let's go nuclear. Yeah, we can get. We'll get into that actually. Yeah, but it's like. I mean, it's just uh, that came to mind. I mean. Yeah, no. And we have that on the list here. Um, you know, what, let's go to that now. Why not? Yeah, I, I'll just say I agree with a lot of stuff you, y'all have said. And another thing, I just want to bring up whether I, I this doesn't really have to do too much with economics. It's more political stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, one thing is, like, a natural cause of that, that made unions, like, huge. Like, that, that, uh, fire, it made workers' unions a big thing, and then that influences government. Uh, but then again, whether you like unions or not, I don't want to get into that. It's just, like, that, that's a point I wanted to bring up. It's a natural thing, like Artem was saying, you know, something happens, people respond, uh, and therefore, either the government or, and, or the businesses will respond it's a effect it just goes on um anyway okay yeah uh energy uh i think we have to mention the elephant in the room about uh biden's nuclear energy and all his climate change stuff uh i do want to mention first this is kind of a transition from the gas is keystone pipeline thing i was actually talking to my mom about this she's from uh nebraska and my grandma on her side's from nebraska as well um, one of the big things I will say about that was a problem with the Keystone Pipeline, even though I'm not huge on Biden shutting it down, was that there's a huge water reservoir, maybe not, no, it's a groundwater reservoir, 
in Nebraska, and that one of the paths that the Keystone Pipeline may have taken would go through Nebraska and over that thing, which is kind of dangerous, I'm not going to lie, because if one thing messes up there, groundwater's polluted, it's gone. Um, and, or if you want to even try and filter it out, because it's crude oil, by the way, so which is pure oil, I'm pretty sure, right? If I remember correctly, that's just like pure, right out of the ground. Um, that's not going to... You've already seen oil spills. Those things are hard as heck to clean up. Um, you always see them in the Dawn commercials. Wasn't there one during uh, the Obama administration? Yeah, that wasn't that like the biggest one yeah, so far? Wasn't it in the Gulf of Mexico? It was. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was I bad. I remember just yeah. recently. I was actually nearby uh, the Gulf of Mexico before that, actually. Uh, it was uh, Orange Beach. Um, I can't remember whatever I but I believe it was before that oil spill. Uh, and then, like, shortly thereafter, it happened. I was like, oh. Yeah. That, that, uh, but, yeah, that, that was bad, yeah. But oil spills are already hard to set to clean. Imagine it getting in the groundwater. Like, yeah. and the groundwater thing is you can drink that. If someone doesn't find out that there's stuff in there and a lot of people drink it, you're going to get a, oh, what is it? Um, In Michigan? Uh, what was it? Was it in Michigan, the... The whole water problem that got polluted, y'all. I think. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? What was it? It was one of the M states. Uh, and there was a water. All I know is it says, according to Alex Jones, there's something in the water that's making the frog. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Jonathan <laughs> sent. Jonathan <laughs> sent us the thing. Yeah. Immediately came to mind. So. Oh yeah, Jonathan sent us the the water bottle, but it was um it was had a pride flag on it and said yeah Alex was right the water is turning us gay uh, <laughs> um but oh okay it's Flint Flint Michigan yes um I just searched this up oh yeah basically all the water got turned into piss water so and there was it was because of some someone messed up in the government uh, of course no uh no. You were doing well up until that point. Well, no, I, that, that I meant to do. That wasn't just a natural thing. I meant to do that. That was a non-purpose thing. Um, I mean, I'm, but, I'm trying to keep myself clean, so. Yeah, no, I'll bleep. I'll, I probably, I'm going to get all the bleeps here. Artem hasn't even coughed. I don't get to bleep it. <laughs> I could it. see you as a professor, yeah. I honestly could. I, well, that's. That's what I'm studying to be, so that's that's the idea. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, uh, what are you, just, uh, I guess, personal thing, like, uh, what are you, uh, what are you going for, like, for a professor, what subject? I'm assuming financial? Finance? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you had told me that before. Or I didn't know if it was economics or finance. I thought you said one of those two earlier, Wait. but, like, okay, that's a bleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, finally we get one of those cough bleeps. Uh, Let's go. <laughs> So, Artem, are you uh, working on getting your PhD, or do you have your PhD? I'm working on getting it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, very epic. Ve yeah, very Potter's. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we learned just, uh, I guess, in terms of, like, uh, you're talking about PhD stuff and finance. It's like we, uh, you know, I saw this video. It was pretty, uh, like, a TikTok on Insta. And, yes, I know I don't have TikTok. I watch them on Insta. Um, <laughs> I saw that. I'm a heretic, I, I know. YouTube, so, I mean, that, that's fair. YouTube's even better than I, I will, to be honest. I will never go to TikTok. Yeah, I'm but uh, was it, it was like uh, this guy was saying, it was like a job application thing. And this guy's in an interview and was saying, so, uh, so what, what makes you think I'm qualified 
So uh, what, what what makes you think? What makes me think? Sorry, that you're qualified to um to be in this job. And he said, I know two things. And the two and he goes in and it's like the two things are a squared plus b squared equals c squared. Uh, the Pythagorean theorem, and then uh, was it? Man, how do I blank out on this? Like the classic one, the uh, the powerhouse of the cell is. How do I forget this? The what? Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. The there we go. The reason I know that is from a YouTube video of Spider Man. He was like, "Yeah, the mitochondria." <laughs> oh yeah. Bro, um, we don't learn our taxes. We don't learn how uh, how to like uh, manage our cars or anything. We taxes is a big thing. We don't learn taxes. Literally, no finance. You have to take that as an elective. But but yeah, we we know two things: a squared plus b squared equals c squared. And the uh, is powerhouse of the cell. Anyway, we should probably get back on topic. So you were mentioning. Uh, was a nuclear power at one point, but I guess the elephant in the room would be the climate change agenda. What climate change alarmist agenda, which is basically green new deal crap. Um, and going into that, it's like they talk about renewable energy, even though it's not sustainable. I saw a uh, well, it's not sustain. I no, not 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 sustainable, but it's like too expensive to be kind of sustainable in that way. I guess it's way too expensive, and it's just not worth it. That's my thing. So unless we get something that is like wind or solar that is way less expensive, way more efficient, we're not gonna go with that. Going on with that, actual Justice Warrior, amazing YouTuber, he is so underrated. Um, I don't know if y'all watch him, but he was talking about, at one point, I, I forget what the video was about, but he did make, he brought this one point, which it was pretty pretty recent video, which kind of worked out, is that he, um, uh, he was looking at like, you know, how France, has a lot of nuclear power. Basically, their entire energy thing is run off nuclear power. Um, but Germany is run off, has a lot of wind and solar, yet they use a lot of gas still. What does that show? That shows that nuclear does a lot more. And it's clean, by the way. So, okay, who, who's the cops after I heard that? Ah, that's the kind of neighborhood I live in. Tax fraud? Tax fraud? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, base. That's pretty base. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, if you went to, if, I don't know, you know, Al Capone, you know, he killed a bunch of people, but credit to him, tax fraud, that's pretty base. Um, but that's the only thing they could get him on. I, I've always found that interesting. Anyway, pretty yeah, base don't, moment. Don't base mafia that. moment. Yeah. No, base mafia moment. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke, guys. Okay. Okay, going back to that. Yeah, Germany does the wind and solar, like I said, and then France does nuclear. But Germany still uses a lot of gas, and you actually could hear about this with the Ukraine stuff because they need the gas with that pipeline they're building over there in Europe. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was that. And I and the other thing, yeah, you mentioned Corbett a little earlier ago was that, uh, and going off of Artem, it's the um, the using the one thing to justify everything because it's like an emotional argument, you know. I forget what Artem said about like, like what what do you call that again? Like when you well, use you're one using thing. A, a sample size of one. Sample size of one, yes. It. And like Chernobyl's the worst one. You were saying when we were talking about this Corbett that it's uh it was just poorly built, poor staffing not staffing, but the people were poorly trained. Was there anything else about it? I forgot. Um, I know that it was poorly built, poorly staffed, 
I know, remember you said it was poorly it was poorly built, not poorly staffed necessarily. Maybe it was poorly staffed, but it was like poor training. Yeah, poor yeah, training. Poor um, and then maybe some uh, other stuff, but I forget off topic. It, those would be main two things. If you want to have a nuclear power plant, you better have the infrastructure so it doesn't blow up like that. Second of all, you better have people that know how to deal with it. It's a power like that. Yeah. I have a source about the uh, nuclear power. Um, so according to worldnuclear.org, um, it says that the Chernobyl accident in 1986 was, was the result of a flawed reactor design that was operated with inadequately trained personnel. The resulting steam explosion and fires released at least 5% of the radioactive reactor uh, in, uh, reactor 4 into the environment with the uh, deposition of radioactive materials in many parts of Europe. Yeah, it's kind of hard to miss a radioactive cloud, I'm going to be honest. They couldn't hide that. They couldn't just suck the air out. You know? It's kind of hard to miss, just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that's a good... Yeah, I mean, if you, you need those main two things, right, Corbett? So, mm -hmm. like, infrastructure... You need mainly infrastructure... Two main things, infrastructure and personal. Yeah. The other one was Three Mile Island. Now, thankfully, that wasn't a complete meltdown. Do you want to... Oh, what is it? Okay, I just want to briefly mention the other types of energy. Because I actually, when I learned this, and I was learning about this in, uh, uh, what was it, Environmental Science, AP. I just have to add the AP in there because I'm so smart. Um, uh, you uh, did I'm not, I did uh, AP Chemistry. Oh, yeah, no, you're oh. definitely smarter than I am. Yeah, no, no, I, could, I don't want to do AP Bio or Chem. One of my friends, I think I told you, uh, one of them had the, what was it, it was Garrett. He had to do the, um, bio, well, he didn't have to. He basically put himself through hell and did uh, AP Bio summer class. Like, why would you do that? Do you hate yourself that much? Um, I don't, it's fine. Um, okay, what was it? Okay, so, you know, we obviously we have the general stuff, like, you know, petroleum, oil, coal, natural gas, and then all the renew renewable stuff. You know, you have solar, wind, geothermal is cool, though that would probably be area-specific, and also the fact that you probably have to have a good amount of land to do that. Um, biomass, that's actually a cool one, though. That does pollute because you're basically taking the stuff and putting out, you know, probably pretty toxic waste from that. Basically, you're just pooping it out in the environment, and it's not good. Uh, hydroelectric, that's cool. Uh, speaking of hydroelectric, we transition those. It's that um, there is how was it? It was a water powered car. There's there's this very there's this kind of conspiracy thing about which I, I don't know the full story. I just know people there. There's a slight conspiracy on the guy who was trying to build a water powered car and got mysteriously died. Um, and it could have been not. By the way, not saying this is true because I don't know. It's just an idea. Is that there was a, he got killed by like, I don't know, Ford or like, not, not Ford, but like, you know, one of the car companies, car companies. Um, yeah. Or the government, you know, or something because he was creating something that could have been very, very innovative. And, you know, feels the other people want more money. So want to leech off you more. That's the theory. Now that could have happened. I don't know. Uh, but he died mysteriously. That was interesting. Um, sorry. On the cough. Give me a second. I'll bleep this out. There I've we go. Covered, I, I've coughed a couple times. I think. I don't well, I haven't heard you cough, so I, that's the There problem. we go. Just did it. Cough. 
I think I heard a little bit. <laughs> um, and there's a. Oh, there we go. Yeah, now I heard it. <laughs> I, I purposely actually did a cough there. Yeah. Um. Okay. What's the other thing? So. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Hydrogen fuel cells are also pretty cool. I learned about this and I was like, those are pretty cool. They're just really expensive. They exist in car, the car like hydro, hydrogen fuel cell cars exist, so they are pretty expensive. And as much as I love Elon Musk, I think he's he did say something about like, kind of making fun of them in a way, I guess, which I think is not. I don't think he's right on this. I think he's just trying. To be fair, I think Elon Musk does kind of have a little bit too much. He doesn't realize that he could have a competitor. I'm gonna be honest. He's he's going. He's riding it too too smoothly. I don't think he realizes that he could have a competitor at some point. Um, I think that's exactly why he said something made fun of it is because he does have a competitor. Yeah, that's why. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, you go after them. Then there was. Okay, this this is a big one. Um, nuclear fusion, which is, by the way, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people know, but it's like, it's what the sun is powered on, nuclear fusion. So if the sun's powered on it, you would think, oh, it's pretty dangerous. Uh, no, it's just, I, I don't know how dangerous necessarily it would be, because we haven't really invented it completely yet. Uh, but it, um, it's just, you have to sustain a certain amount of heat using, you know, probably what the sun uses. I, I don't know. It's just, you, the main thing I know, you have to sustain this amount of heat. And uh, and then you get nuclear fusion. That's what actually they recently did get a good amount of. They did sustain it pretty well in an experiment, I think. So, but uh, there's, there's this older article that was saying that Britain could have it by 2040. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we get it sooner. I said we might get it later. I used to think we might get it a little later. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if we uh get it sooner. I think China was doing one, but yeah, no that. Fusion is cool because if we can create that, it's clean and it's basically a, a completely sustainable amount of energy, unlimited, basically. So, uh, with debt was going to be the next thing, just because we were talking about spending bills earlier. So, uh, I mean, I guess my main point with debt is that every politician spends so much, um, even though they already like like um. If they just spend too much, like everyone says, well, we'll fix the debt problem. They never do. And it's honestly pretty scary because um, if we get to a point where we can't pay off that debt when it's above what we can pay, that's not going to, that's, that's like scary. That's scary stuff because that could be way worse than the Great Depression in my, from what I hear about. It could be way worse if we get to a point where we can't sustain it. Um, um, we just need to, the best thing to do, you know, look, who is it? Was it Alexander Hamilton paid off the debt after the war? Was that him? Was it Alexander Hamilton? Or was it, it wasn't Andrew Jackson. Because, no, he came later. It was Alexander Hamilton, right? Because I know that there's so many A names. Adam, Adam, you know, Alexander. Um, speaking of that, we're sponsored by Hamilton. <laughs> we're sponsored by the show, Hamilton. No, we're, uh, no, we're not. Oh yeah, Artem, don't you play that game? <laughs> well, I'm playing it right now. Let's go! <laughs> so base, so base. <laughs> yeah, so base, so base. Um, okay, yeah, sorry, let me get back to the document. So, so Artem is playing a meme, got it. What we should do is just pay it off little by little, because we're obviously not going to tax as much to pay it off all at once. We have to 
somehow. And this will probably just be luck or if we even get things back to normal uh, and stop focusing on the culture war as much, which I think it's important. The culture war is important, but I do think that's one of my big things that is like above that. There are a lot of important things to be said about the national debt. It's very large. It's growing very quickly. And it's, it's at obviously historic levels. I mean, we just haven't had a lot of history where the United States has been so overloaded with debt. I mean, I think the next closest thing might have been back in World War II. But we paid that off rather quickly, and it's still, I don't think, rose to the same levels that, that we're at today. It's a serious problem for a number of reasons. I mean, a lot of Americans are living on debt. Um, they, they're in constant struggle having to pay their lenders, and we don't want to live in a nation like that. There's sort of a personal responsibility angle to it, which is that everyone should work on trying to pay down their debts. But, you know, we, if we have a population that's so reliant on debt, maybe they begin to believe that, well, what's wrong with the nation taking on a lot of debt? But the reality is the harms are, are uh, very apparent. Um, we have a tremendous amount of government spending, and so what we're doing essentially by incurring this debt is we're saying we're going to spend this money on ourselves at the expense of our great-grandchildren. Uh, great That's really not fair to our great-grandchildren, and we should think a lot more about the kind of burden, the kind of, the kind of government burden we're, le we're leaving to them. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is it's going to be very hard for us the more leveraged we become to market our debt. Okay, right now, the Federal Reserve can buy a lot of our debt by just sort of printing up that money and buying the debt. But when, when it comes time to sell to other people, uh, you know, whether it's U.S. citizens or foreign governments, they may at one point be unwilling to accept a Treasury note that returns 3% if they know that our inflation is 9%. I mean, why would you accept such a note? I mean, people still seem to be accepting it, but at a certain point, it's going to become too much. But at that point, we're no longer going to be able to rely on debt to pay for our government expenses, which inevitably is going to have to lead to austerity measures. We have to reduce how much our government spends. It's just we, for some reason, our politicians have convinced the majority of the population that if they just spent some of our money or some of our grandchildren's money, it's not even our money anymore, it's our grandchildren's money, that things are going to become better off um, for us. But the reality is I think that a lot of us Americans need to take responsibility for our own economic future and not depend on the government so much. And the moment you, you take responsibility for your economic future, the less willing you are to hand over to the government your money. Because you realize, hey, I can use that to take care of myself either right now or in the future when I have, you know, a larger family or when I'm older and so on. So this this national debt thing is a tremendous problem. There seem to be very few limits for politician incurring this debt, politicians incurring this debt. And see, they're not around to pay the political price. They incur it today, but the debt stings us 20 years from now. So all those politicians are out of office. But we have a we have a serious problem with that in terms of the incentives for the politicians. That's how the debt keeps growing. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> we just we we don't like politicians, right? <laughs> I mean, they're just like anyone else. They're they're economic actors. They're they're motivated by getting more votes. Well, what gets more votes? Well, unfortunately, these days people are willing to vote to you know put a burden on their grandchildren. 
in order so that they can have more Social Security or more Medicare today. That's unfortunate. Uh, it used to be politicians would be punished for that at the ballot box, but that's no longer the case. So we're in for an awakening uh, when, when at some point. I don't know when that time comes, but it's going to be a problem later on down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other thing here under that? That's a good point. Was there anything you wanted to add on to that, Corey? Um, not really. I mean, it's just, I mean, they're just spending a lot of money and that's just going to hurt us. I mean, it, it is, I mean, kind of like what Arthur said, it is our uh, grandchildren's money at this point, uh, which, I mean, at my age, I mean, technically it's kind of, I guess in that case, it's my money, but, <laughs> um, but, I mean, they're, they're just having insane spending and then, like, how are they going to make that up? Like, how are mm-hmm. you going to get that money? Like, either they're going to incur more debt, or raise taxes, one of the two. Yeah. Uh, what's the other thing? <laughs> um, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, so, uh, oh, yeah, just, just mention there's a supply shortage. I actually did forget to mention this is also a trucking shortage. Uh, if I if, if I'm yeah, if I, I think I'm saying that there right wasn't a shortage and it's just companies being rich. No, there is a shortage, and I had to live through it because I uh, used to work at um, a grocery store, and we hardly had anything. People would be like, "Where is this?" Like, and I'm like, "We don't have it because of the there's a shortage going on." And even after I quit that job, um, there was still. Um, a shortage. I mean, I remember I would try to go like to Waterbury or something like that, um, and on the side it would be like, "Oh, we might not have something because there is a shortage." And I'm like, "And if you are in that position, typically, whenever you have to tell someone there is a shortage, they get angry at you, and you're you're just the middleman. You're just delivering the message. It's like I can't do anything." And so yep. by them having poor economic decisions. It's putting those the workers in the in the firing line that have to deal with all those nasty uh, you know people that just like ah why don't you have it or whatever like the the Karen essentially um, uh, and you just have to deal with that yeah there's nothing we can do uh what's the other thing oh uh, just quick check make sure it's recording because I I just thought about this I don't want to like it cut is- off. Okay, it's, no. It's counting up. Yeah, no, the reason I wanted to check that, and I should have checked earlier, is because my OBS, which I, I use Streamlabs, it's Steam games for fun, but uh, it, it won't record for some reason. Something messed up with the file, so I can only stream. So, uh, but like, like it will record like 10 minutes, and I will get an error code. So it may be something with the memory or file. So that was that's on me, because I've been moving some of that around. Mine's still going. Yeah, no, you're good. It says an hour and 39 minutes. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, obviously, there's a, if there's a supply shortage, a trucking shortage does not help. Um, I might just, need uh, to do another episode of, like, Biden's economy. We may not. I don't think so, because this is just a short thing to mention. There's obviously a trucking shortage. There's a supply shortage that doesn't really make, um, you know, that doesn't end up to be good, and it just makes things worse. Uh so it's it's just not good. Uh, and honestly, I do want to mention some of this is due to the pandemic, though I do think Biden 
did botch some stuff because since we were coming out of the pandemic, we could have had a, some better stuff going on. But also, I do recognize that some of it's out of his control, um, like gas, you know, so. There are policies that could be put in place, though. So. Yeah, I mean, and that's, uh, I mean, I know that the president is in control of the economy, mm-hmm. and he obviously is in control of everything, and I'll say that, but a lot of it does rely on the policies that he allows to happen, and especially with the, uh, kind of going back to gas, especially with the, the, the pipeline shutdown uh, that he had at, like, the beginning of 2021, um, was it 2021? I believe that's whenever it happened. Um, mm-hmm. That just had massive repercussions. And whenever gas prices rise, a lot of neighborhoods rely on like the uh, fuel industry. Uh, and so I'm, I'm certain that there are a lot of areas that rely on fuel industry. And so whenever the fuel does bad, everything does bad. Um, yeah. And so... And I mean, what I'm seeing, especially kind of going back to the supply shortage, is very similar to Venezuela, uh, how um, they started having insane shortages, and they be- and everything is just so expensive. It's like it's so expensive, and there's hardly anything. And it's probably the fact that they have hardly anything that's increasing the prices as well, because it's like, well, we can't make much money because we don't have much stuff. That's so actually a good it's point. Probably also it's a bad that. cycle. Yeah, it's just a bad, bad cycle. Like, I mean, I don't think that prices are rising because of the shortage right now, but I could see it in the future if the if the shortage keeps going on. Okay. Because, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, because they have to either be able to increase prices to afford to keep the building there or close down the building altogether because they're not making enough money. Hmm. Um... Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. Yeah, it's just bad. Like like with Venezuela, you said it's a bad cycle. Um, speaking of, oh yeah, on I did forget to mention this. Uh, you're saying in rural areas, yeah, they might need more gas and stuff. They put it bluntly, you know. But I have my like okay, my car at its max will usually get it's a 2019 Honda Civic. So since it's 2019, it's going to have better mileage rate. Um, uh, so. Mine gets at, at max, it would get like 32 miles, uh, not miles per hour, miles, uh, it would be a 32 mile mileage rate or whatever. Miles per uh, gallon. Per gallon, yes, miles per gallon. Maybe. Okay, yeah. Shut up, I don't know cars. Uh, no, I'm just it's blanking. Yeah, no, I'm blanking now um, on that, sorry. But miles per gallon, and usually the lowest I'll get is around 28 miles per gallon. Uh, but my friend, my friends, even Garrett, their truck, uh, is a pretty old truck. I'm going to be honest. Uh, it's, um, but it gets like 18 miles per gallon. And it's like, if you have older, you know, things that you have in the family, if you have older, um, cars, cars, um, that's not going to be very good, especially if your mileage isn't, mileage rate isn't good. Yeah. I mean, for me, I drive a 2017 Ford Edge. And it gets 21 miles per gallon in the city, and then 29 miles per gallon on the highway. And so, I mean, I don't have to fill up too, too much, but, like, it's a fair amount. So, I mean, there's a tax, and I already know that my parents, they would always go to, like, Sam's Club because they had, like, a massive discount on Saturday. 
And I think it's because of the fact that they just couldn't afford to have that uh the cheap gas. It's like, I mean, I think the only place that actually could do that is Bucky's. But of course, as we talked about earlier, the government was like, "No, you can't do that." Yeah. So yeah, if someone tries to give lower gas prices, the government is like, "No." Yeah, it's not. It's just like there's probably a limit to what you can do compared to others. I think was the whole thing. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the other thing? Yeah. So, uh, okay, going pause here for a second. Do you all want to talk about the IRS upgrade, or should that be a different thing we do for a different episode? I think we should do it for a different episode because the IRS. Oh yeah, that could, that could be a whole topic by itself, and yeah, I mean. Yeah, that that actually that's a good point. Like I I was thinking taxes only because you know, inflation's going up and taxes might relate be a relatable thing to that as well. You know that we could put in somehow. Um, okay, then there's okay. Continue to pause here. Let's see. Uh, okay, there's the re. I guess the last thing what we could do is the recession redefinition thing that happened. That's a relatively short. And then we can just sum up everything. Like, we don't have to sum up everything, but we just do closing final things or whatever. And you can do your final statement thing. Yeah, I'll just do my final statement. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Okay, so uh, with the recession redefinition thing, uh, you know, there was that whole Wikipedia thing. Now, I, I actually forget how the story goes, because I didn't pay much attention to it, but it was like something people were editing something something people were editing wikipedia stopped them from editing something and i i was talking to my mom about this because she actually works at edward jones so i kind of trust her with some of this um it's probably a good idea she was saying how yes the national like government definition or whatever is uh after if the gdp is down after like if gdp is down two consecutive quarters um but there's also they use they measure it a recession differently in the financial industry apparently. Uh, I for, I do forget what she said, but uh, Artem, do you happen to know anything about that? Oh, about like um, you know uh, the way they de- define uh, recession in the financial industry. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, there is, used to be a technical definition for recession, which, as far as I'm concerned, still most people use which is two quarters in a row of negative GDP growth. Now, the federal government has noticed that, in fact, the report card came back, and they do have that kind of negative growth. It's politically unpopular to admit that you're in a, in a recession. And you don't really, that's the thing about a recession, you don't sort of know you're in a recession officially, or technically, until you get that report for the second quarter. So in this case, we were only able to find out last month that we've been in a recession for the past six months because there is a delay in getting that GDP measure. So it's like we were we had a negative quarter in the first quarter of the year, but you don't know, even then, you don't know what the second quarter is gonna be. It might not be negative, so you don't know for sure you'll be in a, in a recession. But then, of course, in July, that quarter came in, a lot of people expected it to be negative, and in fact, it was negative. So now we've got a negative 1.6% GDP growth in the first quarter, negative 0.9% GDP growth in the second quarter. 
it's not like the most shallow recession you could think of, right? These are relatively small declines in the GDP. I mean, compared to the COVID recession, where the declines were something like 25%, if I remember correctly. Um, so it's, it's shallow, but it's not ideal. You also saw the stock market sell off. That's actually a pretty good indicator that you might be heading for a recession because the stock market tends to sell off ahead of recessions. And see, the stock market is forward-looking. They don't have to wait for the report to come in. All these investors can just sort of gauge the temperature of the economy and say, you know what, I think we are in a downward spiral. Let me sell my stock right now, and that lowers asset prices. So you can see there are a lot of indicators that we are in a recession. Now, people, of course, now, you know, the Federal Reserve, uh, Janet Yellen, who I think is the head of the Treasury, they're saying, well, even though we've met the technical definition for recession, maybe that's not the right definition. Maybe we should have a different definition. That's another example of the federal government changing the standard by which they're graded when they, when they get a bad grade. Right. It's like saying, well, before, you know, 55 percent of my tests used to mean an F. But really, when you think about it, maybe it should mean that I got a B. OK, fine. I mean, but you, you should realize. Yeah. But see, that's the thing. The federal government sort of is trying to convince us that that 55 percent of the tests they got is is really good or, or not so bad. I'm not personally convinced there are some some like optimistic factors. Number one, uh, the second quarter GDP did not shrink as much as the first quarter GDP. First quarter shrank by 1.6, second quarter only shrank by 0.9. Maybe these numbers will be revised more negative with time, but um, you know, at least at the first measure, it doesn't seem so bad. Um, maybe we're coming out of it. I mean, we would be on pace, you know, if, if recovery like if we trace that out third quarter would be around zero percent gdp and then maybe we can have a positive gdp again job growth which is a lagging indicator is still pretty high i mean a lot of people there were we had a huge jobs report that came out recently um so that's good i mean it means the economy is recovering but you really shouldn't have i mean recessions are generally separated um, by much more time than the COVID recession has been separated from the recession we're in now. You just shouldn't have so many back-to-back -back recessions. That's not good. It destabilizes the American, you know, the American consumer, the American worker, and um, it should be considered a failure for the Biden administration. It's not the worst failure. You know, I mean, goodness knows, these are small declines in the GDP. Maybe we have large quarters of growth to follow. But right now, I think it would be more honest for them to say, yeah, the economy underperformed, than it would be for them to say, well, even though forever we've defined a recession that way, let's change the definition so that that 55% we got on our test doesn't look quite so bad. Sounds about right. <laughs> it was reminding me of something, but I already forgot what it was. Uh, give me one. Actually, I remember. I remember. So, this is something, so kind of what you're saying, Artem, about failure. Um, a good way uh, to measure uh, how someone is, is how they handle failure. And is that 
do they assess it and say, yes, we failed, but let's let's come back stronger, or do they just say, oh, it's not my fault, that's not actually failing, or whatever like that. And so <laughs> they're taking the wrong approach in the White House to failure. Um, I mean, of course, it's a bunch of politicians and stuff like that, so obviously it's going to look bad if they admit that they failed, um, and they don't want to take that. Uh, they, they just aren't able to admit it. Personally, I think it would look better. Look, bleh, I think it would look a lot better if they did say yes, we failed, but we're working on trying to um, fix that, rather than just saying, oh no, we actually didn't fail because even though for the past, you know, forever, fifty-five on a test was failing, it's now a B. <laughs> like, as you were saying. Um, and so yeah. But anyways, yeah. is that is that all the topics? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. Uh, I'm glad, Artem, that you mentioned the jobs report. I think that's what I was trying to mention because I just found the article I was looking at with how the financial industry, uh, how they kind of define it or like other people that aren't in government or the national, you know, general definition, the more specific way to kind of identify it. Glad you mentioned the jobs report and all that stuff because that's what I was looking for. I think I remember. So... And I think another thing, and I don't know if I formally expressed this, but the stock market is currently in a bear market. Okay, so a bear market, again, there are varying definitions of a bear market, but I think the most technical and most widely accepted definition of a bear market is that the stock market de declines 20% or more from its last closing high. Well, stock market closed above 4,800, the S&P 500 did, for example, um, you know, in January, and now it is uh, at the beginning of January, and now the stock market has gone down as low as 3,600, the S&P 500 has, so that's almost a 25% decrease, and uh, it, it has now shot back up to about 4,200. Now, it, it's still a bear market. You know, we've been in a bear market just like a recession, right? You find out you've been in a bear market when it crosses that threshold. So this whole time we've been in a bear market um, for about, for almost eight months and there's no signs that we'll come out of it anytime soon. <clears throat> this is really hurting people at a bad time because you know a lot of people are relying on the stock market to be their retirement, right? This is, this is how I funded my retirement. And now you have, you know, depending on when you sold, you might have uh, 25% less than you thought you'd have over the course of a lifetime. That's really not good. So this is going to further, you know, drive the economy down. Uh, another problem is that you've got a bunch of uh, folks that trade cryptocurrency. And where the stock market was down 25%, the crypto is down, you know, almost 70%, maybe even more than that, depending on your currency. So this is not good because those people used to be able to spend their crypto money and, you know, contribute to the economy. Now all of them are going to have to go and find real jobs. So, you know, you're, you're going to have a lot of competition for positions. And, you know, there are companies that are, that are planning layoffs. So it, hopefully this is a recession that ends quickly. But it could be a recession that if everything goes negatively very quickly, pretty soon we might have a reversal in the job numbers. And once we have a reversal in the job numbers, people have less spending capital, and the GDP is going to continue to fall because people are no longer able to engage in trade. 
cap sounds about right. Those uh, cryptocurrency users need to stop hoarding the PCs in their basement. <laughs> no, nothing against crypto users, but uh, I thought that was a joke, you know, the stereotype. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think that is about it. Uh, nothing, nothing else I, I can think of that you know I don't don't want to bring up taxes because that'll be. Yeah, that, that's not super related, you know. To the IRS, we'll talk about that. But if there's anything I learned about taxes, is whatever answer makes the government the most greedy is the true answer. Uh, okay, I did that in personal finance, and it was true. Uh, uh, but anyways, uh, that I think that concludes episode one of the Corvosicom podcast. Uh, God's blessings on each and every one of you. Tune in next week where we will be talking about censorship and how big tech silences those who disagree. Have a good night.